Welcome to the second episode of the Postpunk Podcast. I am Editor-in-Chief of Postpunk.com, Alex Baker. Today on the show, we have Luis Vasquez of The Soft Moon. Last year, The Soft Moon celebrated its 10th anniversary with the project having made its debut back in 2010 with the singles Breathe the Fire and Parallels, as well as the critically acclaimed self-titled debut album, The Soft Moon. The Soft Moon would also make its live debut at the famous Weird Club Night in NYC during January of 2011 having recently signed to Brooklyn indie label Captured Tracks. Now, following the release of The Soft Moon's fourth studio album, Criminal, issued on another NYC label, Sacred Bones, Luis Vasquez would return to California after five years in Berlin, finding himself in Joshua Tree, where he began working on a solo instrumental album, A Body of Errors. It was a pleasure to have this lockdown chat with Luis, talking about his solo work, The Soft Moon, and more, including some of our favorite horror films and also the time he met the Cure's Robert Smith after playing Meltdown Festival in London. And now, here's the interview. Incoming transmission. So, uh, Lewis, you're over in Joshua Tree. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. How long have you been over there? How long has it been since you've left Berlin? Oh, wow. Um, I left Berlin in August, the very beginning of August uh, 2019. Um, I played my last show at Berghain just a, a couple days before that. And uh, yeah, I've been out. And then in Joshua Tree, I moved to Joshua Tree in April of 2020. The day I moved here was the day uh, we had our first lockdown. <laughs> Everything closed uh, on the day I moved to Joshua Tree, even the park. Wow. Lockdown happened as I uh, left Europe. I was in Paris when the lockdown was beginning, about Ooh. to fly over to London and then fly over to the States. So, Did you make it to London? Uh, no, I did not. The, uh-huh. uh, they canceled my flight. They canceled the bus. I had to get, scramble to get to the airport. To get a flight over, I ended up flying over to Minneapolis directly from Paris. It was very stressful. So you left Berlin uh, early 2020? Yeah, I okay. left um, in March of 2020. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Isn't that crazy that we're not there anymore? It's so weird. Yeah, it is a bit of a shock to the system. It was its own, Berlin is its own bubble. It's yeah, its own sure. surreal, magical, weird, messed up place. <laughs> yeah all those things <laughs> how you've uh, adjusted to being in joshua tree i mean that seems to be a, a place to be a good place yeah. to be over in lockdown yeah it is um uh, it's funny though because i had been planning on coming out here since i was in berlin i mean even a year before i left berlin it was kind of the plan and the timing was pretty insane with the whole uh pandemic and coming out here literally like on the day of the first lockdown. Um, so yeah, it feels good. I feel quite safe out here. We're pretty spread out. Um, and everyone uh, respects the rules with the, you know, the social distancing and the, the, the face masks, except for the crackheads, you know, they're, they're out here. But, uh, you know, they've seemed to move uh, to the next city over, which is called 29 Palms. So when I first moved here, there was, there was like... You, a couple little groups of these actually meth heads yeah meth heads um mm. and this place um well joshua tree has become is becoming more and more touristic each year actually each month it's insane so i i, I have a feeling like the the cops cracked down on, on, on the meth heads and pushed them away mm. but, yeah. yeah i know some people from from los angeles that have uh, retreated over to uh joshua tree yeah, to ride out COVID. Yeah, here there's quite a few musicians out here. Uh, I, I you know I discover you know, through word of mouth here and there. Like oh, like oh wow, that person's living here. Oh, that person's living here too. Like, you know, uh, fellow musicians. Mm. 
So I wanted to ask you, um, it was about three weeks ago, the 10th anniversary of the first Soft Moon gig over at Weird in NYC. Oh, wow. And I believe there was a blizzard when that happened, and there was not a lot of people there. <laughs> uh, I remember walking over there, but I don't remember the night at all, because uh -huh. that was how Weird was. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, kind of like a dive bar slash, was there a little bit of taxidermy in there? I there, I think there was taxidermy in a case, um, a glass case underneath yeah. the bar, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I um, think so. Yeah, I, I, for some reason I remember taxidermy, even though I've been there a shitload of times. I, but uh, I guess that's like, like what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, you kind of tend to forget whatever happened. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, it's hard to believe though, it's been 10 years since all that. And since the Soft Moon's debut, the album... The, First album came out, I think, November of 2010. Yeah. What's unfortunate about that was uh, earlier in 2020, um, we had been preparing for an anniversary tour come November of that same year. And uh, we had it all planned out. We already had dates locked in. And uh, we were going to perform the first album in its entirety. And also the same setup which was drum machines, sequencers, synthesizers. Um, and it's unfortunate that that never happened. Would have been awesome. We wanted to do like small venues too. We wanted to treat it just the way it was. Man, every, geez, everybody getting derailed. So many great shows that we missed. Oh yeah. Because of all this. I would have loved mm -hmm. to have seen that. I would have loved to have done it. We were going to bring back the old visuals and everything. It was going to be like time warp, you know? Mm. Do you think you'll get an opportunity to do that in 2022 or has it just the moments passed? I don't know. Maybe it'll be like a 20-year anniversary at this point. No, actually, <laughs> I would like to still try to do it. I think a lot of people would like that, uh, including myself. So it would be really fun. So it's, it, it's, it's still a possibility. It, let's see how this year plays out. But yeah, I don't know. At the least, though, we get these vinyl reissues that are coming up. Uh, that those are due in, I think, the first week of March. Yeah, I think I believe so. I still want to do even a a deluxe version of of that first record on my own, self released, because I now I it's been ten years, so I, I own masters now. That's how it works out with the record labels, you know. So it's like a ten year thing. So I really want to do um, full on like box box set, not box set, but you know just a deluxe version. I, I unearthed all these old flyers, old photos, um, and I've kind of put them into like a big folder. So I have a bunch of cool images that I'm, I'm going to like collage together and put like a little booklet um, and get really, you know, experimental with the vinyl and things like that. But I'm, yeah, I'm really happy that Capture Tracks, you know, participated in doing an anniversary edition. Was it difficult to do that in conjunction with uh, Sacred Bones? Um, no, it was fairly easy. I mean, it's just, you know, we're family, I guess you can say, <laughs> you know, we all, it all happened. We all happened together, you know, back in the days, Mike Sniper and Blink Dogs and, or when Mike Sniper and Caleb were, were sharing off like a little office together and they started their labels around the same time. Um, I got discovered shortly after the creation of Captured Tracks and Sacred Bones. So yeah, we have that kind of family history thing going on. So it's pretty easy to work with them. I think it was a very impactful period where Soft Moon hit, Zola Jesus hit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a little a little era, you know? Yeah, definitely. One thing I love about the first record was, and this is one of the reasons why we made it uh, best of the decade. It was because of it hit at just the right moment. It was a breath of fresh air. And it kind of brought back that kraut rock influence to post-punk, which hadn't yeah. really been there for quite a while. Because most of it before that was this post-punk revival stuff. And kind of, I won't say a regurgitation, but it was continuing this kind of alternative rock formula. A lot of, a lot of records, it didn't really have those essential elements that started the whole thing. So it was like a rip it up and start it again moment. Yeah, it's I, the, being a part of that whole... Or creating the resurgence. I don't even know. Um, but um, I was doing my own thing. I was in my own world. I was collecting a lot of... I was actually... Yeah, I was getting into Krautrock. I had been getting into Krautrock for a, a few years prior to that. And pretty much I kind of wanted to 
create something more along the lines of can and noi. But I just happen to have some sort of dark darkness inside of me and, and, and some sort of past that just crept up and crept through the music and, and, and which is what landed me into, you know, whatever genre I was placed into. But it was cool. It was kind of like a revelation, you know, like I was like, wow, just I realized this is who I am. You know, this is who I've been. And uh, th- that's what the music does. You know, I, I can't it's it's so subconscious. It's like all buried inside. And I didn't really discover who I was <laughs> until the music played back to me or until others heard my music and placed me, you know, in a certain area. Yeah. You started to get more dark, wavy, kind of gothy, whatever you want to call it. I think from zeros, total decay before that, it kind of started the process and then zeros of the full length that kind of brought those cinematic, thematic elements. You could see the psychology, the the demons, the darkness bubbling to the surface, um, which it's interesting how that's kind of really come full on now with what you're doing now. Yeah. But um, Yeah, it was just, I think I, it, it kind of became an addiction. Um with that first record and, and actually getting a response. I, I mean, f- for the most part, growing up, I kept everything inside. I uh, didn't talk about it, whatever. And then all of a sudden, I'm expressing something that I have no idea what I'm saying, but I'm just letting it go. That's what it is. You know, it's a stream of consciousness. And then I'm getting feedback from it and realizing, oh, shit, there's a lot of people like me. Uh, this must be how I really feel. I got things I need to work on. And so from that point on, I just like I kept going, and it was just like let me just let me discover more. That pressure kind of you know cause a feedback loop of of just more intensity because you know when you're putting yourself mm. out there, putting yourself on stage, expressing yourself, and these things come together, and you have the pressure of of finding out who you are, and and the pressure of exposing yourself to people that must bring yeah. things to a certain level. Well, yeah, uh, makes you go a little crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's intense. Mm. It really started to get intense uh, when you moved to Berlin and you got Mauricio as a producer and you put out Deeper, which was a very dark record. Ah, Deeper. Yeah, I get. I, I guess it's quite dark. It's funny because I do hear that a lot, uh, but for me, I get. I, I feel like it wasn't dark enough. <laughs> so. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't. I feel like it's probably my my most mainstream record. I love it. It's it's. I I really love what I did uh, on that record. But um, probably and for me, it's not my darkest. So it was black, but not Fanta black. <laughs> <laughs> I still have yet to get darker. I think <laughs> maybe that'll be the there's, next there's... Soft Moon record. Darker, <laughs> darker. <laughs> And, cr- and criminal was uh, had it was I think maybe darker than than deeper. I was pissed off. <laughs> Criminals me being pissed off. I was so pissed off at myself. That's that's my angry record. But go ahead. Sorry. No, it, it, I, it was in some ways it's it's got a little bit more pop elements than any of the other records. Even ah. though it's more dark and more aggressive and angry, it, the song structures in some cases are a little bit more have a little bit more hooks. I mean. You know, there's there's throughout your discography, there's like the odd one, like uh, Dead Love, which is you know amazing. But I feel like Criminal had the more collection of more pop like songs as opposed to all the other records. You know what's funny? I wanted to, I wanted to touch on uh, Dead Love. Um, that song was inspired by Rebel Yell <laughs> by Billy Idol, but it was actually. It was mainly inspired by a, a moment. I used, I used I lived in Buenos Aires. I bought a one-way ticket, I don't know how many years ago. And I had two or $300 in my pocket. And I I took a bus when I arrived. And I I met this landlord. And she, she had a, like a little tiny apartment. And I, t- and I took it. Anyways, I used to go to these little, uh, I think they call them, if you're a native to Buenos Aires, you're called a porteño. And so I would I would try to find these little porteño bars and they would do tango and shit like that, you know. Um, and I came I came across this little bar and there was this woman singing and um, she was pretty much singing about having a loved one who died, but then the ghost still lives with her and she still maintains a relationship with the ghost. And so the whole dead love thing, you know, came to be. So it's, I really was fascinated by the the stories, the story and the lyrics. 
And I think it was an original, to be honest. And I was blown away and uh, crying in the bathroom. <laughs> it was the day before my flight back to the States. But that, that truly inspired Dead Love. But, um, but the musicality of it was inspired by <laughs> Billy Idol, Rebel Yell. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of fun. was it the like kind of Steve Stevens kind of guitar in the synths or uh, it was there was there's a synth part there's like a synth breakdown in that uh, in that song that was was probably the ultimate point of inspiration uh, just really cool like breathy one note synth um, and I I kind of do it in in Dead Love there's it's it's in the middle of the song when the synth comes in it's, I think it was that and also the driving bass is there. Any other songs from your discography that kind of have that kind of inception? Oh, so, well, this, this is the funny thing. It's something I've always wanted to clarify. Um, a lot of people will, will, will make comments and, and say, oh, yeah, that sounds like... A, a, I get Nine Inch Nails all the time, obviously. But um, even though I never listened to them until way later, uh, after high school. But Parallels was inspired by Brian Eno track called Third Uncle. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, I always get the Nine Inch Nails thing. I get some skinny puppy here and there. But it's kind of fascinating when I, when I read that stuff. And I, was, and I always think, oh, I would love to tell people what, where those songs actually really came from. You know, they come from a completely different place that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons, the, one of the appeals of the Soft Moon is that you are taking from places that people don't, don't expect. Yeah. It's not... It sounds a little bit more like some of the iconic stuff because it goes from a, a more older source or maybe an unexpected source rather than trying to sound just like them. So it's maybe incidental. Yeah, I think that's why I do also get, I mean, over the years I've gotten comments where like, yeah, I fit, I fit into these certain genres, but it's fresh in some way. And that's because I'm taken from other things, but it's filtered through you know, a fucked up, whatever, childhood, whatever you want to call it, trauma and all, P PTSD. So I'm taking like, I can take like a Afro-Cuban track and then it gets filtered through my body and through my brain and then it comes out, you know, different, darker. <laughs> darker. Again. How does this lead up to Body of Errors? Can you tell me about what is Body of Errors? So a Body of Errors, it, I actually wrote, so... Okay, so a body what a body of errors is it's just I've had a I've had like body horror issues personally my whole entire life. I I if you start if if you start talking about the inside of your throat or you know the inside your guts and things like that, I really I start to to get squeamish and I kind of actually freak out. Borderline panic attack stuff. I I've had this forever. I'm just not I'm not comfortable with uh living in this body. It's just it's 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 crazy just the images in my head when I think about, you know, the bone structure and all that stuff, what, all the shit that's inside. Um, so I wanted to make basically a soundtrack to, you know, w to what I think it feels like or what I experience living in a body. And I've also, I needed a break from Soft Moon for a while. I needed, you know, I needed to breathe fresh air into my own life, my music career and uh, express something different but something that I think it still relates, you know, it's still me. Um, and uh, also, you know, I wanted to open doors. I want to open doors into the film score world. Um, and I also, I wanted to get away from the post-punk thing and something that's not uh, performance, you know. Pretty much I'm known for per performing live. That's, I would say, that's kind of the main thing. And uh, just do something a little bit different, you know, just to take a left turn before I get back on the, the soft moon, you know, which I'm, I'm actually currently working on a new soft moon record, but this is just something on, on the side I wanted to do. One thing I wanted to explore, if you pay attention to your social media, especially your Instagram, you're always posting horror films. Oh yeah. Uh, whether classic 80s horror films or some more recent ones, you're talking about how great this film you've seen occasionally. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering... What are your favorite horror films? Uh, I would imagine some of the Cronenberg stuff, since you're into body horror, maybe th there's a catharsis from exploring that through cinema. Yeah, to be honest, some of I mean my favorite, some of my favorite films are the classic ones, like you know, Night of the Living Dead, the original. A huge fan of that. Probably one of the scariest films for me personally. Um, I'm even a really big fan of, um, I guess what 
Silence of the Lambs, I guess it's considered contemporary. <laughs> Even though, what, what is that, like late 80s, early 90s? I think that was 1990, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm a, big, I'm a huge fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Enterprise, <laughs> whatever you want to call it at this point. Pretty much the classics. And of course, there, there are the obscure. What's your favorite Nightmare on Elm Street mo- film? I wonder if it's the same one as me. Uh, it's, it's, it's the first one for sure. But uh, which one's yours? Part two? <laughs> part three. Oh, three is great too. Yeah. Dream Warriors. That yeah. is so That's good. That's a great one too. And I just looked it up the other night and I saw that I think the guy who wrote it and he wrote, I think he wrote Dreamscape. Mm-hmm. But then he also worked on The Blob. Oh, I the love 1988 the blob. blob. Yeah. Hell yeah. That one is, that is an underrated gem. That's uh, underrated. Actually, when I was putting together my videos for uh, A Body of Errors, um, I, I was definitely inspired by the blob and I wanted, I was kind of looking for pink slime at one point, but <laughs> it didn't quite work out. I, I was trying to go for super minimal. Uh, I was I was going for one shots. I, w- I wanted to create videos that were, that when when someone w- would watch it would say, wow, I wish I would have thought of that. You know, that's kind of like what I was going for. But anyways, yeah, the blob is amazing. You know what's even good is, uh, <laughs> oh, I love Misery. It's more of a thriller. Uh, but another Stephen King movie, is called, it's called Sleepwalkers. Ah, uh, yes. Clovis don't, didn't like him. He didn't like him one Yeah, kid. exactly. <laughs> the cat, yeah. Um, yeah, weird shit like that, the cheesy stuff. Have you seen Dr. Sleep yet? No. It's, it's a, the sequel to The Shining, and it's a... I believe it's uh, done by the same guy who did Haunting of Hill House. Oh, okay. And um, it's like it's almost like Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three Ooh. M- meets. Um, it stars Ewan McGregor as the grown-up kid from The Shining, and he, and there's this other kid who's there's these like vampires that steal energy like sleepwalkers. Oh yeah, yeah, and they have to like stop them, and they end up at the house, the uh, mansion from The Shining, the Hotel Overlook. At the oh, end of the movie. Oh, nice. It's really good. Oh, I highly wow. recommend it. Okay. The yeah. Doctor Sleep? Yeah. What about uh Flatliners? <laughs> oh God. Remember that? I love that movie. Oh man, with Kiefer Sutherland and yeah. uh um and Julia Roberts. Yep. Yeah, great one. That, that was that gave me nightmares. Yeah. That was so scary. Yeah, there's some really scary shots. That kid, that 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 I guess it's Kiefer Sutherland like returning to that nightmare, and it's like there's like that really creepy looking kid that's fucking with him. Is he have like a red um, hoodie? Oh, or something dude, like that? you're talking about. Uh, oh, I love that movie. I, he might have a hoodie. I, I mean, we might. I, I all I remember. No, I think that's Flatliners. Okay, okay. I remember the kid has a really creepy smile. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, and, and I, there's a tree and a dog. Yeah, and I think he is wearing a hoodie. But the red yeah. hoodie that you, that I was thinking about was a movie called Alice Sweet Alice. Uh, I've heard of that movie, but I've never seen he's, it. He's wearing a red hoodie and he's wearing that clear that clear creepy face mask you buy at liquor stores mm. you're looking up an image right now <laughs> no 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 I, I will though Alice Sweet Alice no I, I have not seen that one. Oh, one of my favorites completely B-rated I don't think it ever hit the theaters it's called uh, Don't Go to Sleep I think which is kind of funny because it, it kind of re- represents uh, Nightmare on Elm Street but uh, I think it's called Don't Go to Sleep oh my god it's one of my favorites the last shot of that movie is still in my still in my mind I close my eyes and I see it Don't Go to Sleep when you were a kid, you were about the same age, um, more or less. Did you spend an inordinate amount of time in the video store just looking at the boxes and just wondering about these these messed up movies? Yeah. Great artwork back then, too. Yeah, I think one of the ones that fascinated me the most was Pumpkinhead. Oh, that movie is so great. <laughs> yeah. That, that that's another one that gives me nightmares too. Yeah. It's and it's not it's not a feel good movie at all. <laughs> not a feel good horror movie. Very depressing and very gory. If you take scary. the title out of context, it kind of sounds cute. Pumpkinhead. Yeah, pumpkinhead. <laughs> <laughs> My little pumpkinhead. <laughs> Did you see Mandy? Oh yeah, I loved it, and I loved the soundtrack. Johan Johansson. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Wasn't he uh, working with Denis Villeneuve? And that was his last movie before he passed. I think that was his last movie. You know where he passed, right? No. He uh, he had a cocaine overdose in Berlin. No way. Yeah, something like that. Definitely drug overdose. I think they found coke in his system, and I th- I'm not. I think it might have been in, in his own home because he was living there at the time. 
or it might have been at a like at a at a techno club or something like that. I've looked into wow. it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love that guy, and I, he, that guy was destined for greatness. Didn't he win an award for Arrival? Arrival, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, he would have been the next. Uh, oh, what's his name? Wolfgang. I'm forgetting his name. From Kraftwerk. <laughs> no, <laughs> film, film score composer. What's his name? Oh my god! Uh, I don't know. I I, <laughs> I was watching his masterclass. Uh, I can't think of it. I every time I, every time we do interviews together, I, I feel like oh, believe I, me, I, I, I feel like such an it idiot to me all the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm so comfortable, you know. I'm, I'm not. I'm just kind of you know. Yeah, Mandy, great film. Another one I was actually blown away by was Color Out of Space. I'm not familiar with that one. Okay the the last half of that movie is is insane, uh, and. And the score was done by this guy named uh, Colin Stetson, who did Hereditary, which is also a great film. So. I still haven't watched Hereditary. I'm I'm been meaning to, but it it's it's one of those movies I was going to get to like last year, yeah. but I was just like <laughs> maybe I shouldn't wa- watch this uh, alone in isolation yeah. or during COVID. It sticks with you. It's one of those that lingers. If it feels to me like it would be kind of like a Henneke film in in tone, it's, which. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, you could say that. It 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 kind of is, but it it definitely has its own tone. It's 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 unlike anything I've ever seen. It's got this creepy factor that's just it's very chilling and it's very subtle. And like I said, it lingers forever. And and there's this one there's this one shot. Well, my, my grandmother just uh passed away uh about about a, a little over a month ago. Um, and we just had the funeral because so many people are dying and, you know, there was like a, literally like a waiting list, like waiting outside of a techno club, you know, like Trezor or something, (laughs) not to crack jokes, but that's, I laugh, you know, but, um, there's this, I saw, I saw my grandmother, uh, about three nights before the funeral, like just kind of like in a, in a, like a half awake, half asleep sort of state. And it was very, very similar to this one shot early in the film of Hereditary that stuck with me. And uh, I connected to that shot in Hereditary way back when I saw it. I was still in Berlin at the time. I connected with it so much that I perhaps I could have created that, you know, the, uh, the, the vision that I had of my grandmother. Or I connected to it because uh, it's something more internal you know it's it's the way i would see someone you know who had just passed i know i'm getting kind of abstract here (laughs) but is that seeping into your creative process i mean even and this just happened my grandmother i'm sorry sorry about the passing of your your grandmother Mm -hmm. Uh, it's okay it's uh it was it was a it was coming and uh i was prepared for it but yeah i don't know I, i guess i haven't been really creative lately so I don't know yet. You know, I'm sure it's stored in the memory banks and it's it's in there somewhere. Some part of my brain. Uh, and and it, it, perhaps it'll come out later when it, when it needs to. Do you have much experience with grief? Do you think that you can process grief through really dark and fucked up things? I, I can't actually. Well, I feel like I can't. I, I know that okay, when I, when I did, it was, uh, <laughs> we're talking about my grandmother here. It's funny, but... Uh, just to get a, uh, I guess like a, a point across or whatever. But um, I it was an open casket, and I I didn't know what to feel, at all. Same thing with with love. Same. I I don't know what to feel. I kind of go with the flow. I kind of. I'm always questioning, like you know, what I'm feeling, and uh, I, sometimes I f- I feel like shit. Like, wow, why am I not feeling something right now? Does that make me a bad person? And I always find that kind of interesting. You know, I didn't feel much at my grandmother's funeral. But another thing makes me feel like I was thinking I had a great relationship with her. And I think that that could be why I was, you know, I didn't really feel much. I was just okay with the whole thing. I noticed other family members who didn't really stay in contact with her were grieving much harder for sure. Um, And it was much harder for them to say goodbye. So that was my observation and my feelings. Since your music deals with trauma heavily, perhaps the trauma that you've experienced in your life has brought you to that kind of numb point. 
Or that's a kind of defense mechanism to cope with things that are really, really intense. I think that could be it, that defense mechanism. But I think I also have been facing a lot of darkness the past, you know, well, my whole life, but sonically the past 10 years, that could have prepared me for, you know, for all these things. And I could be something, it could be some sort of weird, like, fear of death thing. I have such a great fear of death that let me prepare myself right now. And that's what I'm doing, you know. Who knows? It's, it's, everything's a big question. Mm. Do you think you would want to explore that fear of death through the soft moon or through maybe through film scoring or films that explore that kind of um, psychology? I think I've done it. And, and, and if I would continue to do it, it would be through the soft moon. I think that's, that's, that's what the soft moon is for me, is exploring realities in existence. It's interesting though, because... I've always had this fear that if I got over it, would my music be interesting anymore? And uh, I've gotten to this point, I've explored so many canals, so many caves of darkness, you know, you know, of my own darkness, my own personal darkness, you know. I don't speak in generalities. I don't talk about death in generalities. But through my own darkness that I've reached a point, I kind of feel like I'm okay, even though I'm not. <laughs> People have told me, close friends have, have mentioned, but... Uh, I feel like I'm okay. And I feel like, does that mean I don't have anything else to write about? And that's kind of a weird little interesting fear to have. Maybe you can have a more friendly, understanding relationship with your darkness. It's like that. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. What was it? Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world where he's, oh, yeah. you're like, hey, he's really a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> it could be like that. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I'm, I haven't reached a level where I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm pro-life, you know, like, yeah, let me live. Let me, let me be super healthy and, you know, you know, let me, I do. But, I, you, but you moved to Joshua Tree. I, I do, thought you were supposed to. <laughs> I do take care of myself for sure. I'm trying at least, you know. But uh, no, I, you know what? I, I moved to Joshua Tree because I needed, I needed a, a contrast to the past 10 years of my life. It's insane. I mean, been on a roller coaster, you know, 200 shows a year, you know, flying all the time, airports, nightlife. You know, <laughs> I just needed a contrast. And I kind of come from the desert. I was born in LA, but I lived in the desert for a long time. And it's kind of like a full circle thing. Mm. You need this contrast, but it could, there must have been some great moments of the past 10 years. Are you kidding some me? Really incredible. It's amazing. Like, it, I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. In fact, I want more. <laughs> so just waiting for this shit to pass because, um, you know, I feel the most comfortable on stage which is ironic for being, you know, coming from like an insecure, self-conscious guy with social anxiety, but the stage feels amazing. I think I'm hiding behind that guitar. It could be it. What were some of your favorite shows and tours over the past 10 years? Holy um, crap. Oh. <laughs> too many to count? Uh, well, yeah, we're, we're talking in the thousands, but uh, I, can, I, can, I can talk about cities that I've been to or countries that I really love, I admire, like France, Always been amazing for the Soft Moon, uh, specifically Paris. I think I think a lot of bands do well in Paris. The, the the French have have this deep admiration for music and performing, and so France is always great. Berlin also, Berlin was a great place to perform. Um, honestly, and I I would I could say like oh yeah Bergheim this and that, but obviously those those uh, those Urban Spree shows were very memorable, very intimate. Um, also, it was a place that I would hang out, you know, here and there. It was down the street. I would see you there. Um, so th those those shows were amazing. And then um, Barcelona, another great place. Uh, I, I think it's funny because not for me, but for a lot of fans, the very first time we played Primavera, we were the first band. We played at 5 p.m. Everyone was hungover. <laughs> <laughs> and it was daylight and it was windy and we performed and uh every time i go to spain uh spaniards will bring up that show like 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 it's such a historical moment in their in their life you know so for me i remember feeling uncomfortable i think it was the first show we played in, in broad daylight it was the end of the tour my first tour in europe and we were that tour was crazy uh, didn't know what the hell we were doing. I lost a lot of money. I lost my passport. Couldn't fly home. 
stuck at the airport for three days. Uh, but yeah, that show, because of what people tell me about it, that's, that's also memorable for me. For me, <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. And like like odd places, like when we played in Sardinia, at this little festival, going to weird places like that, that's, that's always fascinating. I remember I asked you, uh, what was it, five years ago about touring with Depeche Mode. And the response I got was kind of a spinal tap kind of situation. <laughs> really? <laughs> was this the interview we did uh, in my my in my room? Like off yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in, in Noikon? <laughs> yeah. So what, what was the question? <laughs> oh, I was asking, I asked you how it was to tour with Depeche Mode. Okay. And um, yeah, I think the response was, it's just that you, you was kind of, you know, place to place, kind of mechanical. You didn't really get to socialize too much with the band, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, I I got to hang out with Martin Gore a few times and we we hit it off really well. Uh, it was it was fun. But he was always on like a really tight schedule with his manager or assistant, whatever, was always nearby. So do you do you miss Berlin? Do I miss Berlin? Uh, I do. Um, aspects. I think aspects of Berlin. Yeah. I think that it's um, it's a test of endurance. Oh the yeah, culture there. Um, and you know, we're both you know getting older, and it's kind of your priorities kind of shift. Like, how often can you kind of live that distorted to the extreme, like party, rock and roll, club life? It's hard. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful city. There's plenty of things to do, not in a nightclub, which people I'm hopefully are discovering since Bergheim I, I is an art so. museum at the moment. Yeah. How do you know the the situation on the clubs out there? There's nothing's open. There's no techno clubs, right? No, no techno clubs. Um, bars have been off and on, um, in like half capacity. Yeah. Shutting down again, reopening, kind of like here, kind of like in Los Angeles. It's just pretty much the same deal. Yeah. There's no club culture there. Uh, Kraka Festival did a uh, great online festival event, club event that was interesting that I was impressed with. Oh, wow. Along with like um, the guys from Urban Spree and everything. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit of a kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, maybe a way to placate the people there until, but do you wonder like in Berlin, do you think it'll go ever go back to the way it was after being shut down for like two years? Well, that's the same way I feel about performing live like where is is that has that gone extinct i mean are, are we gonna i mean even are we gonna be destined to just go to outdoor festivals i mean that that limits live shows so much because for me it's all about clubs clubs around the world clubs you grew up going to you know in your hometown if those disappear i mean it's crazy look at comedians too same thing they any any sort of performer but uh, I, I'm not sure if it's ever going to return. So who knows? At least not until like November, which is when most uh, tour itineraries, I think, are starting up again. And most booking agents yeah. are saying, okay, like September, November. Jesus. For example, Bauhaus just announced that they're play playing London okay. and Mexico City in October. Okay. Let's yeah. see how that goes. I, I heard that before. So I wanted to uh, ask you about Meltdown because that was really cool how that was all these great artists including yourself were wait meltdown got is that the one outside yeah. of berlin in like the no 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 that's i think that's called that's melt i'm talking about london oh shit okay yeah a bunch of really cool uh artists like the kvb kayla mikla the soft moon got all caps emails do you want to play my show over in london you're talking about the one years ago with the cure oh shit oh my god how can i forget that oh my god <laughs> So yeah, so what about it? I do have a, a interesting story about that that I'm I'm so flattered by, and I think about it constantly. Um, but yeah, what, did you have a question? <laughs> I, I I just I I you've told me about this before, but I'd love to hear it again about your experience with Meltdown because I think that the, the way that was curated was really ear to the ground, paying attention to what was new and current in underground music. So, oh, so so my experience with Meltdown. So. Um, it started out, I don't know if we were on tour or not, but um, we got there and then I, I got backstage. Turned out we were, Nine Inch Nails had performed the day before. <laughs> and so uh, they had little small little artifacts and things that they had left behind. It, were, it was kind of funny. Um, I think I had some pictures, but I got robbed in Las Vegas and I don't have that anymore. And then um, 
Oh, so what happened was the, the the main main point of the story was after the whole the whole festival. I think it might have been the last night or maybe the second to the last night. There was a rooftop party exclusively for the artists who have performed and and their friends or their guests or whatever. And supposedly Robert Smith was going to show up because he had an emergency, a family emergency that he had to go to, and he missed my show and and, and several other people. Um, but I remember. Uh, I think I was, it was like a, like kind of like not a skyscraper, but kind of a tall building. I, I would say something like, I don't know, 10 floors, 11 floors. And I went outside down, down at the bottom to say goodbyes to some friends. And I was going to get back in the elevator. I remember my manager came running down. Hey, Robert Smith just showed up. You got to go say hi. You got to go say hi. <laughs> so I get back in the elevator. We go up. And when I get up there, uh, no one had noticed him yet except for the bass player of Placebo. They were talking for a little bit and I was just standing there patiently. But as Robert Smith was talking to the bass player of Placebo, he kept looking over at me, you know, and I just, I just sat there, I waited. And then at one point he points at me and he goes, I know who you are. <laughs> and I, I, I walked up to him and he goes, yeah, he's like, I, I watch your videos uh, late at night, your live, your live videos and this and that. And it was so excuse me, so flattering. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And we just had a great conversation for about, about 10 minutes. At that point, people started lining up. They just, people started noticing that he was there and he's tall too. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. But just the fact that he, he knew who I was. I mean, he curated the thing. He, I, I guess he knew who I was even before that. So he chose, he, you know, he, he hand selected every band which was really cool. It's especially uh, fitting because I think out of any person I've seen in my travels uh, in the past like 10 years, you probably were wearing the coolest Cure shirt at one point. We were over at, where were we over uh, at? Uh, I know where Kit we were. Kat. <laughs> Kit Kat. I remember that night, yeah. <laughs> we were at Kit Kat and we went up to that little room. We hung out for a little bit. Yeah, I still have that. It's too big. I don't wear it that often. It was it's too big for me. I do like oversized t-shirts, but yeah, it's a little loud too. It's very, very 80s. Yeah, it was very, very like kind of bright colors on black type yeah. of affair. I have it. it. It was really, really vibrant underneath the black light of that club. <laughs> I stood out, yeah. <laughs> uh, for someone who's trying to hide all the time in the corners of the, of the club, yeah, I wore the wrong t-shirt. Do you have any favorite Cure songs? <laughs> I'm simple. Um I like uh, uh, just like heaven, man. I mean, I do love uh, so many, but just like heaven, I don't know. It's just it's a it's a classic. I think even everyone's mom loves that song. Probably one of the greatest pop songs ever written. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, we can we can go for an hour just on Cure songs. Oh, but I'm very. I might do that for a future podcast. Oh, that could be good. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that and uh, I think there's also um, I mean, the pornography album mm. is also great, depending on who you are. But that's that's that's. It. Pornography is probably the closest to the Soft Moon out of all the Cure albums. Yeah, I imagine it's, that's definitely my favorite. It's also very Lost Boys. <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> Going back to like the way that that festival was curated. One thing I find fascinating about um, just your musical career is that you've been very, very supportive of your contemporaries, your peers and younger artists, because you're, you know, becoming a little bit of an elder statesman in this scene now. Yeah. And I think the first time, you know, I heard of Sextile was through you, if I'm not mistaken. I did. I brought them on tour a while back now. Uh, yeah, I was a fan back then. I brought them on tour and, um, they sounded a lot different at, during that tour, uh, after that tour, they definitely changed their sound. I think I remember seeing the synthesizer and, and yeah, these yeah. I think that was impactful for them. It was also impactful for me as well because I think they were living in LA and I'm from LA, but I had been living in Europe for six, seven years, you know. So I remember yeah, playing. There was a one one specific show in, in Los Angeles that was really memorable. Going back to that that question you answered, you, you asked me earlier. But uh, yeah, sex town. Also, uh, I I was wondering if you were ever going to uh, work on a project with Drab Majesty. I remember we discussed that that oh, was yeah. a possibility in the past. But and I know you two are both very busy doing. Uh, I think uh, Clico's about going to do uh, VR sex next. Yeah, that should be coming out pretty soon. I think. Yeah, but I would love. To, I mean, I, I'm a, Andrew and I were, were good friends, even though we we haven't seen each other in quite a while. 
um, due to the circumstances. We, I think we've kind of talked here and there about some sort of collaboration, and who knows what that would, what the outcome would be for that. But we're definitely like-minded. And uh, uh, the first time we met each other, I think it was kind of like one of those love at first sight things. You know, it was we 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 hit it off right away. Great guy, definitely. Yeah, he is. So, just the other day, I think you released another uh, Body of Errors video um, called Inferno. Interno. Interno. Yeah. And uh, I've only got to look at it briefly. It might have been just yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. And I saw your face submerged in water. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was so what happened? So okay, so there was there was three videos that came out prior to that, and it was kind of a trilogy. And um, I wanted to go for something a little bit different. I my my original plan was to do an, a, a second trilogy, but something unrelated. And I that that was the first video. Interno was the first video I did for that. It basically I wanted to go for performance art for the next trilogy. Very very minimal, as minimal as I could be. Uh, like going going back to the uh, the beginning of the interview when I said um, I wanted my videos to be kind of one shots and um, clever, basically, uh, where people would watch them and think, "Oh wow, I wish I would have thought of that." So I was just trying to be as minimal as possible. Um, I'm very, I'm going very DIY with this thing. Um, I'm not backed by a, you know, an indie label of of any sort on this. So it's all me. It's all my ideas. It's all my money. It's all <laughs> whatever I could come up with with what I have. And yeah, that's what these videos are. That's what they represent. It seems like it's a very good thing because I remember uh, the last video that you had your face submerged in water wasn't a pleasant experience for you if i'm not mistaken far it's got to be far I, that's the only other time i was in water but i was coming out of water i wasn't going into water in turn i'm going into the water or maybe there's another video that i don't know <laughs> was it a fan video or something it was the most highly produced video off of that record so it and has to be it, far there were you were sitting on a chair and there was this old man oh wait <laughs> <laughs> the old man part got me <laughs> It was, um, wasting. Were you talking about wasting? Yeah, wasting. Maybe you have. Your, oh, you I had water. water. I had water splashed into my face. <laughs> that I know. But far, I was in a bathtub. Ah, uh, yes. And I had to. Yeah, I had to come out and catch my breath. By the way, I, I've I said this before. I have to say it again. The homage to altered states in the oh, video yeah. for far. <laughs> I just love that movie. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I was kind I mean, of. All- I was going for uh, yeah, altered states. Wow, one of my favorites. But I was also going for like sort of like a flash dance, sort of moment. <laughs> Not really, but it just it was like it's like the childhood kind of coming out. <laughs> well, are you a maniac? <laughs> well, oh, by the way, great film. Even the remake is great. It's kind of funny that take on me that video. Is oh, also yeah. an homage to altered states where he's banging. Oh, totally, yeah. All, yeah. But in a kind of a animate animated. So though you're putting this, you're doing everything yourself. You're putting everything together yourself. Your own money in the line with uh, a body of errors. Do you think that's changing the way that you're going to approach the soft moon in the future, and you that have more control and more freedom, maybe, oh, and kind yeah. of less? I've always had quite a bit of control uh, with everything. That's why I choose to do what I do like you know who I work with and and whatnot um however yeah there are a little bit more there's more hands involved with the soft moon um you know there's an actual you know like a a proper record label involved there's a team um but another reason why I kind of went even a little bit more DIY with a body of errors is because of the you know the situation that we're in at the moment you know I and I mean, I'm in a desert. I'm out here. I, I I can't really call upon people, and you know. So I just took matters into my own hands. The cool thing about that is, though, it's very refreshing for me personally to to do everything 100. I'm I'm one of those people that I feel like uh, if you got to get the job done, you got to do it yourself. Kind of kind of DIY punk spirit. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess I'm I kind of feel like that, but I do also know when to let other people kind of, you know, help you out because sometimes you can't do everything on your own. You know, it's just, it's impossible depending on whatever level, you know, you're at. But let's see what happens with the soft moon. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely have a concept in mind. I've had the concept in mind for a while. I've already started working on the record and um, I don't want to give away 
too many secrets, but uh, I'm going. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go big on this one. Darker. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you have got a uh, you've got a live stream coming up. Oh yeah, uh, you were about to record. Yeah, like is that like this week? Um, it's going to. I, I believe it's going to be the twenty sixth, which lands. I I'm not sure, but maybe if that's your release date, I think, isn't it? Okay, yeah. So yeah, it's the release date, but I'm not sure if that's a Friday or a Saturday. It's got to be a Friday, right? Sounds like a release date wouldn't normally land on a Friday. So the twenty sixth, it's gonna be. Are you checking it out? Friday. Okay, it's a Friday. So I'm putting together a live stream. I'm going to perform the entire album. Um, you guys will know when, and you'll get the information pretty soon. I'm sure there'll be an, an announcement pretty soon. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. So the day of the release, the physical release, um, will be an also, also a live stream. You can buy tickets and, and whatnot. Will people be able to watch that after it's uh, aired? Because it's it, this episode will not be ready by that time. Um, so from as far as I know, the, the live stream will only last... I think it's 48 hours. I'm not sure. But there's going to be one on Friday and there's going to be a separate one on Saturday. So basically one for uh, the States and then for the European fans on Saturday. And I there's I don't know too many details yet in, ter- in terms of time, time zones, things like that. But and, and also as far as I know, it's 48 hours that it will last for. But I can probably talk to the booking agency and we can probably switch that up. Is there anything else uh, coming up? There's the there's the uh, body of errors, uh, the reissues. Is there anything else in the immediate horizon um, that we could look forward to? Um, there is, but things I can't talk about <laughs> because I'm working with other people. So I, you know, I, I you know, I don't want to go against that. But there, there there's going to be plenty of things happening this year for sure. I'm looking forward to it, Lewis. Thank you so much. This is great. Bless you. <laughs> Good to talk to you again, man. Awesome. <laughs> Good to talk to you too. Thank you for listening to the Postpunk Podcast, episode number two. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe, and support us on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash postpunk. That's patreon.com slash postpunk. We can't do this without you and your support, so thank you. I'd also like to send out a huge thank you to Jason Corbett from Actors for the intro music, and Corinne for the outro music, and especially Jenna, our producer. You're amazing, Jenna. And I also want to give a special thank you to our editors, Frank Deserto and Andy Harriman. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Also, please visit our website, postpunk.com. That is post-punk.com for all the music news, video premieres, and more. Until next time, cheers. Transfer complete.